This is Mark Kelly, and I'm part of the leadership at City Church Leeds, and I want to thank you for downloading this podcast. I hope that it blesses, encourages, and inspires you. If you find these podcasts helpful, would you please consider standing with us and supporting us? For more information about this and other resources and media, please visit citychurchleads.net. So good morning, my name is Mark Kelly, uh, and as most of you are aware, I'm part of the leadership team here at City Church Leeds, and I'll be honest with you, it's an absolute privilege to be able to speak on a Sunday morning. I really do value it. I think it's such an honor and a privilege that God has, has, has put me in a place where I'm able to share things from His Word with us every <clears throat> other Sunday. So obviously I don't speak every single Sunday. Um, one thing that I, I, I've been prompted to do this morning, and maybe I'll do it consistently um, when I speak, and that is to really honor God's Word. And I don't just mean the Word that has been brought, and I honor the, the dads that, that brought the words this morning, uh, Ben and Stu and so on, but God's Word. You go into some places, some Sunday mornings or whenever they meet, and they take a few minutes at the beginning of every kind of preach just to hold up His Word and just say, thank you, God, for it. So if you've got a Bible, or if you've got a Bible app, can you just put it in your hands right now, and just, just hold it up in the air, if you would, and just repeat, just repeat these few things, a few words after me. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you, Father, that we have your spirit, and that, Father, with your word and your spirit, you bring revelation. Thank you, Lord. Amen. 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 Thank you for your word, Lord God. Okay, so this week um, I'm going to speak on how to be equipped, or rather equipped. Last week John spoke about loved. Uh, And so if you weren't here last week, just to fill you in that what we're doing is we're going through our acronym of Leeds, which is loved, equipped, empowered, devoted, and sent. So I'm on equipped this morning. And again, like I say, it's a huge privilege to talk on this. And in fact, I'm going to be talking primarily from Ephesians, which will be up on the screen in a few moments. And I think it's great because we covered Ephesians, didn't we, Uh, a number of of weeks ago. And and I think this just really helps us go back into it, dip into it, and to pull something else out afresh. Okay, well, let's open those Bibles. I was going to put it on there if you didn't have them with you, to Ephesians 4. And we start in verse 11. And uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to repeat and repeat and repeat this, this particular part of Scripture as I go through my message this morning. So I'm reading from the English Standard Version. So if it doesn't quite tally it with what you're reading, um, uh, well, that's just the way it is. Um, <laughs> I'm sure you'll be able to deal with it. So Ephesians 4 from verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes, rather speaking the truth in love. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in 
love. Notice in this bit of scripture that the word, there's the word gave. And so let's be reminded that these are gifts from Jesus. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. And Paul, who, when we went through Ephesians, like I said earlier on this year, we acknowledge that he is the author of Ephesians. He's not talking about spiritual gifts in convoluted, abstract terms. He wants us to understand that the church uses you and me. God blesses his church with these gifts that are you and me. We are the means of blessing. I really want you to hear this. We are the people through which his amazing grace is displayed. We are his hands and his feet in this world. We are the city on a hill. And we are the light shining in the darkness. And I want you to really take that on board and consider where you are standing. I think this is an amazing mystery of the gospel, the good news, that he chooses to work through you and me. I know me, and I find it amazing that God chooses to work through me. God, in Christ Jesus, and through his Spirit, pours out these spiritual grace gifts upon his church for a specific purpose. And I'm going to like I said earlier, I'm going to take these verses and I'm going to read them again as we work through them very carefully. So if this thing does work eventually, it'll be great. But if not, please keep your thumb on uh, in the book in those verses. So Ephesians 4, 11 and 12. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. So God equips his saints, and that's you and me, if you're a believer. He equips his saints for work. He equips us for his work. Now, for some of you, <clears throat> that may be a bit of a surprise. You might even think that that's quite shocking and outrageous. But let me say this, and, and it was really great what we were singing earlier, that the gospel compels us to respond with action. The grace of God towards you and me is, is intended to equip us for the works of service. By the way, if you agree with anything that I'm saying, you can say yes or amen. You can interact a little bit. I'd really appreciate that. It's kind of like a little loop. The more you engage, the more I'll get excited and the more excited you'll get because I'm saying it excitingly. Fantastic. So, um, <laughs> that's going to be awfully distracting, boys. Just unplug it, forget it. Have you found it? Great, wonderful. The grace of God, like I said, towards you and me is, to, is intended to equip us for works of service. The apostles understood this. Paul understood this. In fact, Paul reminds the church in Corinth of this. And in 1 Corinthians 15, from verse 8, says this. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, 
I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Now, some might read into this bit of scripture that it's a little bit of self-importance from Paul there. He, he declares that he worked harder than any of the other apostles. He's wrote it down just to tell you. And it might be quite an astonishing statement if you read it like that. And it really would be, wouldn't it, an example of utter arrogance if it weren't for this crucial clarification. Though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Paul worked hard. He sweated. He worked two jobs, probably. He stayed up late. He sometimes went without. He wept tears of frustration and tears of sorrow. He suffered for the sake of the gospel. He worked hard. And yet, Paul understands that it was, in fact, the grace of God compelling, energizing, and equipping him for the works of service. God gives so that we might be equipped. That the work that we're to undertake by his grace is incredibly purposeful. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. It's interesting, I think, that Paul focuses in on gifts which primarily involve revealing, declaring, and teaching the gospel. And moreover, Paul understands that these very public roles, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers, work hard in order to equip the saints. Like I say, that's you and me. That's the church. It's the purpose of this message this morning. It's the purpose of Bible studies. It's the purpose of youth work. We teach, preach, and proclaim the gospel to build up the church, capital C, and to equip folks for works of service. And in all this, there is a connection between right doctrine and right living. And by doctrine, I'm talking about those fundamental truths that we accept without challenge because to do so would undermine our entire faith system. Stuff like accepting Jesus as the Son of God, but also accepting that He is God. Accepting that the Bible is the inspired Word of God and that He speaks to us through it. That heaven is real and that hell is real. We're talking about deep fundamental stuff like that. So the teaching, the preaching, and the proclamation roles matter because it's through them that God equips his church. Correction of error, the setting forth of right doctrine matters because right thinking results in right living. The truth, rightly understood and rightly received, motivates us to live, to serve, and to work for the glory of King Jesus and for the good of the people of God. All of which leads me to Paul's next point which is that we are to serve one another. This is a motivation to, to work 
and a, a wake-up reminder of the weighty calling that is on all our lives, all those of us who believe. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Ministry gifts are neither intended nor designed to stop with you and me. God gives and equips that we might minister to one another and to build up the church of Jesus Christ. He equips us so that we work for the good of his people and the glory of his name. Paul's expectation, therefore, is that the equipping of the saints should result in work and that this work should result in the church being built up. Can I get an amen? It's building up. It's got two dimensions. Paul expects that the equipping of the saints will result in church growth. He specifically mentions evangelists, but will also increase depth and rootedness in our walk together. And so how does this look in practice? It may be that God has blessed you with a a critical mind. It may be that you have the capacity to, to grasp and apply difficult theological concepts. Paul, from the pages of Scripture, challenges us to consider whether we're exercising the gifts in such a way as to encourage our brothers and sisters in Christ and to build up his church. Perhaps God has blessed you with the kind of personality where people are just instinctively drawn to you. They're instinctively drawn to trust you, to confide in you, and to desire advice from you. Perhaps You've been given a gift with exceptional organizational abilities. Perhaps you're skilled in understanding finance. Maybe you've got a strong passion for prayer. Maybe you play an instrument or are enthusiastic about leading people in corporate worship, Esther. You could be... Amen. Sorry, Esther. Sorry. You could be a web designer, Paul. A gifted artist, an expert communicator, a builder, Jeff, a doctor, an engineer. Perhaps you engage and connect easily with young people, Ben. Maybe you have a particular and exceptional compassionate heart for the poor, Hannah. If I'm pointing those people out, but believe me, they're not the only people that have those desires and those gifts. If you are a believer... God has gifted you in in a thousand and one ways. And the most important question is, this is the most important question. Are we using the gifts that God has given us to minister to others and to build up his church? Apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers, kids work teachers, youth leaders, life group leaders, administrators, and so on and so on. Together, God equips us for action. God equips us so that the church of Christ might be built up and we might attain a mature manhood. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, 
to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. You're going to know these verses off by heart by the end of this, this message. How do we define this mature manhood to which we're called and to which end we must minister and serve? And there are two very specific outcomes of the ministry of the gifts of the Spirit in the life of the church. Paul desires that we would all attain to the unity of the faith and that we would all attain to the knowledge of the Son of God. Earlier in Ephesians 4, there's already been a challenge to believers to maintain and pursue a unity grounded upon the reality of God who is and in the truth of the gospel. We are called, it says, to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. We are called to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. In reading this, we realize that the Spirit of God, who brings true unity and peace, our call, therefore, is to cooperate and to work in accordance with this Spirit-given oneness, this togetherness. Here in these verses, however, Paul encourages us in even stronger terms to work for the building up of the church of Christ. He's really clear that this unity is something that we must both maintain, but also seek to the unity of the faith. Reminded again of the importance of holding fast to the content of the gospel, not only as individuals, but collectively as the church. God graciously pours out ministry gifts, particularly these proclamation, preaching, and teaching gifts, in order that the church might grow into the unity of the faith, and that we might all believe and hold true to these things about God, these doctrines, these truths of the gospel. It's important that we see maturity is measured in gospel and doctrinal faithfulness. It matters what we believe. It matters what the wider church believes. And this must change the way in which we minister. Consider this. As a way of preaching which poses difficult and troubling questions which seeks to undermine rather than understand the truth of the gospel. And there's a way of teaching which encourages division and disagreement over peripheral controversies. I'm sure we can think of what some of those peripheral controversies are. Or small groups which should encourage togetherness and unity, but instead become forums for gossip and criticism. Or corporate worship which becomes exclusive and self-indulgent. A test of our gospel faithfulness in exercising of our gifts is whether ministry builds and encourages a together focused and grounded in the good news faithfulness. Do we treasure gospel truth? And do we minister this same gospel truth to others? This is the first outcome of godly ministry, which is to urge the church towards the unity of the faith. And the second outcome of the ministry of the gifts of the Spirit is intrinsically bound up with the first. Paul 
exhorts us to minister in such a way that men and women might grow in the knowledge of the Son of God. And in doing so, Paul is asking us strongly to work in accordance with an earlier stated desire in Ephesians that we would know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. This then becomes a test of our faithfulness in ministry. Is the glory of King Jesus our highest ministry goal? Is the glory of King Jesus at the center of our gospel message? Do we minister in such a way as to encourage people to seek after and energetically pursue King Jesus? Do we help others read and understand the gospel that they might grow in their knowledge of King Jesus? As believers, we need to be mindful of the grace of God in our lives, ministering together so that the church might be built up and that the church might grow up. Such maturity comes from standing together and holding fast to gospel truth and springs from an ever-deepening knowledge of the Son of God. Paul challenges us to ask questions, deep questions, which test our own Christian maturity and that of our churches. Maybe questions like this. Do we desire to know Jesus more deeply? Do we hunger to learn new things about Jesus? Do we cling to deep truths about Jesus? Do we love Jesus? Do we search the scriptures desiring to see him more clearly and to know him more deeply. This, I think, is what it means to strive after maturity. The end of all this is simply this, that we, the church of Christ, would grow up. And as it says that we all attain to the unity of the faith under the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. And that phrase, mature manhood, might seem a bit odd to our ears. And probably not very PC, but hey, it's Father's Day. But Paul is in effect calling the church to act like a real man. And that emphasis is really important. Because as believers, we're to minister and we're to work so that the church might attain full maturity. And yet, it's absolutely true that the gospel requires an individual response, yet too often we can focus exclusively and singularly on our own spiritual well-being to the neglect of the wider church. In this we see a peculiar form of Christianized consumerism. Let me say that again, Christianized consumerism, which is... I will wait. That one I couldn't speak over. That was good. <laughs> Bless him. Ooh. <laughs> Where was I? Christianized consumerism, which I think is hugely damaging both to ourselves, our inner person, and to the church. Again, capital C, the church. This kind of inner focus can lead to such thinking that causes us to fixate exclusively on our own needs, 
Am I being fed? Are my spiritual needs being met? Am I happy here? Such thinking leads us to drop ministries, switch church families, chase spiritual experiences from one conference to another in some kind of ill-informed pursuit of what we believe to be true maturity. Paul provides the corrective to all this. We are called to minister until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. All. Full stop. Let's get interested in the all. Let's get obsessed by it. True Christian maturity is worked out together in service of one another. True Christian maturity is seen as we lay down our priorities and privilege for the goods of our brothers and sisters. True Christian maturity is seen as we forgive when we are wronged and repent openly when we wrong others. True Christian maturity is seen as we love like Jesus and we lay down our lives for our brothers and our sisters. Paul is reminding us in these verses from Ephesians that God equips and calls us to work and minister for the good of each other. The end of this grace is that the church would grow up and act like a man. We also see in these verses what happens if we don't chase after and desire this maturity and unity. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Once again, we're reminded that right thinking and right doctrine matters. It matters that we move towards attaining the unity of the faith. It matters that we care about and progress in our knowledge of the Son of God. It matters that the church of Christ grows up because the alternative is so devastating. Right thinking and right doctrine matter because the alternative is incredibly destructive. When there's no unity of faith, when there's no deep knowledge of the Son of God, gospel immaturity prevails. And gospel immaturity is dangerous because it results in a gullibility in which we see Christians falling for every scheme and scam which infiltrates the church. Ultimately, gospel immaturity will result in disintegrating church families, divided natural families, wrecked marriages, and the tragic falling away from the gospel truth. In Acts 20, verses 29 and 30, it says, Fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will rise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Because right doctrine and right thinking matters, as believers we're called to be on our guard against the enemies of the gospel infiltrating the church. 
In fact, we're called to be active, to stand up and stand against false teaching and false doctrine. So from verse 14, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, rather speaking the truth in love. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow, uh, builds itself up in love. We are called to speak up and to speak out. When we see people who profess to be Christians diminishing the effectiveness of the cross, of Christ, the exclusive claims of the gospel, the gospel's call to holiness, and any one of a thousand gospel misadventures, we must stand up and speak out. This is the distinctive of the mature believer and the mature church. When we see error, we speak up. When we see gospel being perverted, we speak up. When we see the truth, the glory, and the triumph of King Jesus being undermined, we stand up and we speak out. But, and this is so, so important, and connects right back to what John was saying last week, we're called to speak out this truth in love. Consider the nature of the gospel, the good news that I've constantly referred to this morning. John 1.14 says, And the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Or as Paul in Ephesians chapter 2 says, And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. Think about the awesome truth of this. God becomes flesh, enters into a world of darkness-loving, God-belittling rebels. And how does he respond? Jesus came and preached a message of peace. Be reconciled to God. And so to us, we are called to speak up and to preach and proclaim the gospel faithfully, but in a spirit of grace and love. We're called to correct error in such a way that we might win the souls of those in error. And let me say, folks, that's not easy. Our human tendencies can sway us one way or another. But we have to find that line. We have to find that place where we can walk in grace and love but still correct still challenge, still confront, but do it in such a way that it's just full of grace and love. I don't know about you, I find that difficult. I have to ask God continually, please help me. How do I, how do I deal with that? And sometimes I don't because it's awkward and it's hard. who likes confrontation? Pretty much none of us, I would, I would imagine. But somehow we're going to have to find a way. And he tells us how to do it in Scripture, that we approach confrontation with grace and love and that we're doing it 
to build up the other person and not to judge and put them down. Like I said, we're called to correct error in such a way that we might win the souls of those in error. We're called to oppose false teachers and false doctrine in such a way that our lives might authenticate the truth of our position, the position of grace and love. Somewhere, someone somewhere is quoted as saying that intolerance is the one remaining intolerable sin. We live in a time where pluralism, postmodernism, relativism, in other words, a place where no absolute truth reigns. The spirit of this age has permeated his church. And so we have churches tolerating false teaching, distorted doctrine, and openly embracing what the Bible presents to us as sin in the mistaken belief that unity must be maintained whatever the cost. I feel I should just say that again. That they embrace openly what the Bible presents as sin in the mistaken belief that unity must be maintained, whatever the cost. We find churches lowering the bar in terms of moral conduct expected of those who profess to be Christians in the mistaken belief that this will be a wide open door that will result in church growth. I find it incredibly interesting that Paul draws a line directly between gospel faithfulness and profoundly genuine church growth. Let me read it to you again. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which is it equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Note that it says, as we speak, as we speak up and speak out in love, we, the church, grow up. But consider how we grow up. The church is to grow into Christ, who is the head. There's an issue of authority here. He is the head of the church, and he sets the rules and the standards. But there's more. Paul wants us to see it's because of our connection with the head, with Jesus, and our submission to him, that we find true, soul-deep, spirit-man cohesion in the church. He is the source of unity. He is the one who holds this church together. He is the sole common ground upon which we all stand. He is the object of our worship. His fellowship is the objective of our meeting together. His glory is the outcome of our ministry. His name is the thing that gives us identity. We're called to minister with the grace gifts that he has given us. We are called to stand up, to speak up, and to grow up. And as we do so, we grow into him. And this is what it means to be the body of Christ, that he ministers in and through us. We are to be his hands and his feet in this world. This is what it means to be part of the body of Christ. 
Which leads me to my final point. An astonishing truth that we can overlook sometimes. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. We are called to minister, to stand up, to speak up and to grow. We are called to work towards and strive for the building up of the church of Christ so that the body of Christ might maintain, might attain, sorry, mature manhood. And I guess a question remains, even despite all I've said, what is this mature manhood? What does it look like? Paul instructs us that we are to minister until we grow into the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. I'm going to just pinch a little bit from uh, a preach that Ian Russell gave when he was talking about apostles. And it's, a really, it's an amazing uh, message on, on what the apostolic is. And one of the things he identifies at the, right at the beginning of his message is this. There are some folks who we would call cessationists who believe that the apostolic and, and, and other functions died out within the first century. They were only really needed for the first century to begin the building up of his church. And the thing that Ian pulls out very simply from this is that we are to minister until we grow up into the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Let me ask you the question, do you think the church has attained perfection? Do you think the church is in any way unified? Do you think the church still gets divided on doctrine and thinking and all this kind of stuff? Therefore, we have not reached the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Therefore, the apostles and all those other giftings are very much still relevant for now and for today. So unless you know of a church that I'm not aware of, all those ministry giftings, all the gifts of the Spirit, are all completely relevant to build up His church. Our passionate desire should be that the church would increasingly come to resemble Jesus. That we would minister in the fullness of Jesus. That we would serve with the humility of Jesus. That we would speak with the faithfulness of Jesus. And that we would love with the costly, sacrificial love displayed by King Jesus on the cross. So I say again, that's why the until of verse 13 is so important. That we must all continue to minister and work until we attain the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. We must all continue to minister and work until he returns to perfect his church. We must all continue to minister and work until that day when we will know him fully, even as we are fully known by him. I'd like us to do something now, a bit of action. When I first thought about this, I first thought maybe we just need to sit quietly, pray, and say, God, what, are the, what, what, are, what gifts have you given me? So some of the obvious gifts are the ones I've been talking about, the apostolic, the prophetic, the evangelist, and so on. But then I was prompted 
to do something which will build up, help build up the church and one another. And that's to go to one another, to get up off your seats, go to somebody else and just say, I see this in you. I see this in you. It could be those gifts. It might be something else entirely. But build up. Let's take some time to build one another up and to declare into people what I see in you. And it could be something that's completely by the Spirit that you want to say. And don't worry if, if you're off kilter by a few degrees. If it's encouraging, it's good. So let's spend a few moments now, however, however long this might take, actually. But please, stand up, walk around, go greet somebody, and just declare what you see in them. This is Mark Kelly, and I'm part of the leadership at City Church Leeds, and I want to thank you for downloading this podcast. I hope that it blesses, encourages, and inspires you. If you find these podcasts helpful, would you please consider standing with us and supporting us? For more information about this and other resources and media, please visit citychurchleads.net.